thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and this week we're talking about The Babadook. go thank god this is the last fear what i fear but i mean i know that doesn't mean that it's the last horror movie so i guess it's false happiness yep (laughs) it's temporary happiness for sure i can't wait till february rom-com city unless you could think of a clever way to love what i love Eh, not clever (laughs) it's the title of our podcast i know that's why it can't be the title for the sub show loving what i love yeah we'll do this off mic we're wasting time (laughs) the babadook is a 2014 australian horror film that follows a single mother and her son as they are haunted by mr babadook an eerie character from a children's book found in their home that ain't no children's book the babadook yeah but if it's in a word or it's in a look you can't get rid of the babadook god damn it Ba- Come on. Do- oh, Andy. Uh, <laughs> Andy's been doing that for years. For years. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what this movie was. I just knew that I did not like that at all. Oh, it's the best. It's so fun to do. Uh, you do it when the lights are turned off. And, and, you know, it's super dark. I'm going to find a replica of that Babadook book and like leave it in the apartment when I like go to visit my mom or something. Oh, I'd be so stoked. <laughs> I'll be pumped up. I'll be like, oh, yeah, Babadook's here. You're crazy. Uh, Well, anyway, that is the rundown of the story. The Babadook was written and directed by Jennifer Kent. It stars Essie Davis and Noah Weissman. And it was made for a budget of about $2 million. Whoa. And worldwide, it grossed $10.5 million and was a smash hit. But domestically, it was, in Australia, it was kind of a flop. It made total at the end of its run just under a million dollars, and it made like thirty thousand dollars opening week. So for some reason, Australians weren't into it, but the world <laughs> was really into it. Wow, that's interesting. The movie went on to garner incredible success, has like or critical success, I should say. I mean, money wise too, but it has like a ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, like it's hard to dig up a oh. bad review of this. You can find bad user reviews, but when it comes to like the professional critic community, it's it's pretty well liked. Oh, ho, ho. have you seen the Babadook? Your favorite. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I don't know and why I gave them a French, a bad French accent. All critics are bad. <laughs> French. <laughs> all critics are French and snobby. Uh, <laughs> should we take a detour and talk about the podcast we found recently? Oh, my God. Yes. So I was on Facebook and I saw Rotten Tomatoes posted that they have a new show called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, mm. where they have, uh, I guess, whoever their hosts are, I didn't even look into the show. I'm going to go ahead and give our podcast credit for the beginning of that podcast. Yeah, uh, so, as you can guess, it's <laughs> uh, movies that got bad reviews on and terrible Rotten Tomatoes scores that people think are great. And episode four happens to be Sister Act 2 on mm. our podcast. Mm-hmm. So I saw that and I thought of Masha immediately. Oh, yeah. I'm um, going to give it a listen. There might be a Love What I Love mini episode. 
after I take a listen to that and a couple more. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely check back in on that. Yeah, we'll anyway, we're getting off topic. This is the end of Fear What I Fear. Yes. We're technically outside of October by a little bit, but who cares? <laughs> it's fun. I love Halloween too much to let it die in October. I mean, we can't go outside and party, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can, but not with other people, safely. Uh, so I was excited to end with this one right here. It's not that old of a movie, but oh, it blew my mind. So sorry, what year did it come out again? Twenty fourteen. Oh, okay. So it's, oh wow. Yeah, as of this recording, it's six years old. But uh, it even seems more recent than that. But yeah, I wanted to end on something nice and scary, especially after I, after uh, after you were complete, very disappointed with Practical Magic. Uh, I wasn't disappointed in it as a movie. I was disappointed in it as a horror pick. Oh. If if it was just a regular one, love what I love, I think I would have been a little more open minded. But because we're doing fear what I fear, my favorite time oh, of the year. Oh, we're in a fight. Ah, <laughs> fight on the cast. <laughs> I had to go extra hard on it, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating this at all. I'm wow. thinking a zero fun movie for this one. This is gonna be <laughs> serious to the bone. Yeah. Before we get into all of that fun stuff. Outside of me doing the voice from time to time, what was your knowledge of the Babadook before last night? I mean, I would have been more open and open to it in general if you hadn't done that voice since <laughs> the first day I met you. The first day. <laughs> I opened it on the first day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I All I knew was that sound and I knew that I didn't like it. And okay. I've been dreading watching it since you did it for the first time. If I hadn't have done that sound and said it was from a movie called The Babadook, would you even know what it was? I have no... No, no absolutely no, not. Nothing? Nothing. I, I've never heard of this movie. I've never heard of... Like, who thinks of Duke? Like, that's yeah. such a weird... Is that like I want to know? Is it an Australian term? Like no, it's I, I got some facts on okay. it, but yeah. But not. yeah, I didn't know anything about it. My friend Brittany loves this movie, so when I mentioned that we we're watching it, she was very excited. I mean, she watches a bunch of scary movies that yeah. I always refuse to watch. So I guess if I actually watched a movie with her once in a while, I would have known about it. But yeah, I didn't know anything about nice. this. I didn't even know it was Australian. I thought, for some reason, I never really looked closely at the cover because you have the DVD, uh-huh. but I thought that the woman in the cover was the lady from Hereditary. Yeah, she kind of looks like Toni Collette a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it, and I, so I didn't know this movie was Australian. I just didn't know anything. That's awesome. You know, I've never actually looked at a list of the horror movies of the entire decade and made a list or anything like that, but I know if I did, this is up there as one of my favorite horror movies of that whole decade. I think this shit is a masterpiece. I know I'm so excited to talk about it again. But having said that, for me, I remember when this came out, just, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You know, the internet learns what you like and kind of throws things in your face no matter what you're doing. So mm-hmm. my internet quickly learned how much I like horror movies and things like that. And every year, there's always one or two horror movies that just stick out critically. And everyone's like, you have to see this one. You know what I mean? Okay. And, you know, not that I see every single one of those, but... Certain yeah, I just remember kept hearing the Papa Dukes amazing. Gotta see it, gotta see it. So then, you know, me and my sister in law were the ones who watched the horror movies when we were all living together. So we and her were like, We gotta see this movie. We watched it and it just blew my mind. I loved it <laughs> immediately. I started to look up to see I was like, This thing had to have gotten like nominated for some stuff here and there. Yeah. And it's mostly like horror awards, you know, it's like it got nominated for the best movie at the Chainsaw Awards and this and I was just like, <laughs> All right, like Horror gets such a bad rap, not take, be t- being taken as seriously. Yeah. Eh, we're starting to get there a little bit, but like, 
you know, a really well-made horror movie never gets the same prestige as a mm-hmm. as other genres of movies when they're like top of the line. And so, yeah, this didn't get any of the kind of critical acclaim or even, I mean, like tons of people talked about it the year it came out. But since then, I haven't really heard it be brought up a lot. But even, you know, we have to get into the plot to talk about this deeper. But the influence I noticed on watching horror movies going forward the few years after this, I saw plot elements and themes explored in this movie. Not copied, but just like, I, I could think of like at least three to four other movies I watched after this where I was like, oh, they're doing... This is the Babadook, except the twist is this, you know? So, like, I was just like, not only did I think it was a great film, I just kept noticing how influential it was to other horror makers. So, even if, like, the public wasn't talking about it as much after the year it came out, mm-hmm. that happens a lot with critically acclaimed movies. They're talked about so much, and then, like, five years later, people forget. They, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I find that kind of crazy. Trend starter. But, yeah, I guess I'm even part of that problem because the next thing I was going to say is as much as I loved it, as influential as I found it, amazing this and that, I never watched it a second time until last night. <laughs> so, so excited to watch it again, especially after, you know, a movie like this. I think it warrants more than one watch because you ask so many questions on your way through mm-hmm. that when you finally go back to it with kind of like an idea set in your mind, you can piece things together a little bit better. So, I loved watching it last night because it's been just long enough, six years, where... I forgot a lot of the little things, but I knew and remembered enough of the big, whole big story where I, I almost enjoyed it last night more than the first time. Mm-hmm. And while I knew this movie was going to be pretty much the antithesis of what you would normally watch, kind <laughs> of an anti-Masha movie, some reasons you would enjoy it. I mean, the easy one is, you know, it's a woman filmmaker writing and directing, you know, her own movie when, in a genre where women don't normally make that many movies. That's pretty cool. I did not know that. So uh, that was fun. Yeah. And just uh, like what you always say about horror movies is you just hate when they they're just set up for senseless either, you know, violence or scare. Like you you need a good story, like a nice meaty story to get mm-hmm. into your horror movies, because as you say, you love thrillers. And so this is definitely, in my mind, way more psychological and less of your traditional horror movie where the story comes first and the scares are kind of wrapped around it. Like there's not really jump scares. There's not other things that you kind of deter you away from horror. So while it is scary and creepy and not even an ounce of fun from beginning to end, <laughs> it's still, it's deep, well-written and gives you enough to chew on instead of just being like, our house is haunted. You know, like it's, right. not, it's not just like we bought a house and there's a ghost in the house and it's 90 minutes until the ghost kills us. You know what I mean? It's not that movie. I'll give you that. There was some, there was substance. There wasn't like, it wasn't just let's have blood everywhere for the sake of having blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that, all yeah. right. That's a good point. Valid point. That's, I support it. But yeah, before we jump in, uh, like I said, this is written and directed by Jennifer Kent. This is her first film and she's only actually made two feature length films. And she's Australian, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole thing's Australian, the whole production. Like every, you know, like it was filmed in Australia, Australian crew. Like it's not. Cool. It was just like so good and went to Sundance and won. That's how the world kind of ah, saw it. Um, fun. Yeah, she was an actress for most of her career, mostly in Australian stuff. I tried to look up, but I didn't recognize anything that she was in. But then she got kind of fed up with acting and decided she wanted to try her hand in filmmaking. And there's this filmmaker, Lars von Trier. You've probably never heard of him, right? Uh, no. Yeah, he's real famous. I'm not the craziest about his movies, but he makes real edgy, fucked up shit. He did the, those three, like, nymphomaniac movies a few years ago. Do you remember those? <laughs> no. Yeah, they were... <laughs> They were divisive, to say the least. But anyway, 
she basically to, her journey to become a director is pretty crazy and it's it's nuts because whenever someone wants to become a director there's no path right it's not like any other department in film it's not like you know like i want to be a sound guy i meet other sound people i learn this craft i assistant sound and then eventually you're good enough to do your own thing you know? yeah but like directing there is none of that like even an assistant director is a completely different job you're not actually doing a director's job you're doing something completely different so it's always fun to hear how someone became one because she was just an actress so she literally just admired Lars von Trier, thought he made good movies, knew he was filming his new movie. It was called Dogville. It was like 2003 mm-hmm. or maybe 2005, in the 2000s. Uh, she just wrote a proposal. Like she just like wrote like a, a well-written proposal to him saying like, hi, you know, I'm, I, I want to leave the world of acting. I'm looking for a career change and I really think I could be a good filmmaker. I, I don't know. I didn't see what she wrote, but yeah. basically selling herself. And just sent it to him and, and basically said, like, can I come and just shadow you for, and, you know, for no pay, obviously, just can I just be on set, walk around and learn what you do? And then he just was impressed by the proposal and like the gumption to even ask. Aww. And so he said, sure. And then she would just went on that movie set and was there every single day and like learned, just watched him direct the movie. That's amazing. And like learned how to do it. And then from there, she made some shorts. And then, yeah, Duke was her first feature film. And then she made one after this that I've... I've Remember when it came out, but I didn't know it was her. It was called Nightingale, and I really want to see it now, now that mm. I, I realize who it is. That title sounds familiar. Yeah, the poster looked familiar. I'll show you later. It's audio, so it doesn't really make any sense. I love that. A pretty cool little backstory thing. A $2 million budget for your first feature film. Like, who are your producers? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I couldn't really find any first-hand accounts of exactly like how it all went. Like, oh, we saw this and this, but... She had this idea for a while, and she actually made a short film in 2005 called Monster. And I actually watched it today on Vimeo. It's like 10 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And uh, she calls that story Baby Babadook because it's Ugh. kind of a similar story. It's a, it's about a mom and her son, and the son has an overactive imagination and says there's a monster in the house. And then all of a sudden, the mom feels that the, the monster's there too, you know? like Why is Baby Babadook even scarier <laughs> than the Babadook? Baby Baba. Oh my god! <laughs> this might be the last podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Not every filmmaker, good or bad, their first movie is good. It's just some, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Right. And I think this first outing is the perfect mix of the whole. This is my first movie. I need to put everything I have into it, mixed with just pure talent and storytelling. Like mm. I think she she hits the nuances of everything so good. This movie is like the epitome of show don't tell. That's... I got nothing. I'm speechless. Wow. I'm speechless. I wonder if... I forget the director's name already that she shadowed, but uh, I Lars wonder... Von, Lars von Trier. If he saw this and like what his thoughts were oh, like, yeah, as a know. proud like mentor, you know? Um, or I hope he is. Yeah, I think he should be. William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, he said this was the scariest movie he ever saw. Whoa. Which is a uh, pretty high praise. That's cool. I'm, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on it because similar to Blair Witch, when this ended, you yelled, I need explanations. No, I said, you better have answers. Uh, <laughs> you better have answers. That's what it was. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> also, I just want to point out uh, our funny accidental choice in movies for fear what i fear oh. <laughs> i picked a movie about a mother and a son a horror movie dealing with the issues between a mother and a son then a Psycho. witch movie a witch movie a witch movie <laughs> and then a movie about the issues between a mother and her son. <laughs> we'll be we'll be my more diverse with our selections uh, next yeah. year oh uh, until i pick friday the 13th and that's another series about the issues of oh, a mother and her son <laughs> <laughs>
there's lots of, there's a lot of I might have a lot a, of fruit on that tree of mother and son. In I might have here. a couple more witch movies on, on in my sleep. No, I'm out of witch movies. I'm, I'm, I'm witched out. <laughs> Unless we want to watch the witch episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, wow. about that. <laughs> yeah, so I want to just get right into it. I was looking at my notes briefly before, and I'm just going to mention this one note because I have no idea when I wrote it in the movie, so I can't bring it up at the logical point. It just says... Do you want to die? Question mark exclamation point. Oh, I have that written down like six places. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you know and I don't. So oh, man. why don't you bring it up when we get to that point? Oh, that's great. So this movie is pretty much carried by perf- the performances of basically two people. Yeah. We got Essie Davis playing Amelia and then Noah Weissman playing young Samuel. Yo, this kid could have easily been the room kid. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's Jacob Tremblay before before those days. He's Australian Tremblay. Yeah, I think so. I think him and Tremblay should play brothers and something. <laughs> in a horror movie. Tremblay, Tremblay took the throne though. He's been in everything. Yeah. Was, I don't know what happened to this kid. I still don't get why we need weapons. He could be a pedophile. He can't molest all three of us. All he needs is one. He could grow up so much now, but if, if I saw him now, I'd be like, oh, that's what he looks like? Yeah. Little Noah? But yeah, he was only six years old when they made this. That's crazy. Yeah, he wasn't like he wasn't like an older kid playing young. Like, he was legit six. He really sold it. So did the mom. But I'm like, I'm always just super impressed when kids nail it. Yeah, for sure. What's crazy with Noah Weissman, the kid actor... You know, like, this is a pretty intense movie to have a kid, you know, go through and this and that. Yep. And uh, they were all talking about just how overprepared they were to make this as, like, a nice environment for the kid as possible. Where, you know, his mother was obviously on set every day. But Essie Davis, who plays Amelia, and Jennifer Kent, they all basically... The kid never really understood, got the full story told Mm. to him of what was going on. They kind of explained to him scene by scene what was happening. Jennifer actually wrote, she wrote like a G-rated version of this story to like (laughs) present to him. So she told him and she basically told him like, it's a story with a scary monster, but you're the hero who defeats him at the end and and things like that. And because he was six, they would like, as soon as the the sets would end, uh, S.C. Davis, the main actress, she would always like, as soon as they would yell cut, I would make sure to like smile and like give him a high five. And then the director would come over with prizes and like, (laughs) you know, they would give him both prizes. So he felt like, oh, all actors get prizes, you know, and shit like that. That's adorable. And Jennifer Kent, like one of her quotes in an interview where she was like, listen, as passionate as I was about this movie and this story and wanting to make the most realistic thing ever. She was like, it's not worth ruining a childhood over. She was like, I did not want to traumatize this little boy. Like, I wanted him to walk away from this and just feel normal. Like, you know, like, that's amazing. (laughs) That's really cool on the director's part. That's really cool too because then I got to wonder like, you know, 15 years later when this kid's 20 something and he's watching this and he's like, this is what we made? (laughs) Like, Jesus. That must be so, yeah. (laughs) That must be so cool like to, to be able to experience that. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and S.E. Davis and Jennifer Ken actually went to like acting school together, so they had been friends for Aww. years. When Jennifer was making this movie, she just reached out. She was like, I think you're gonna crush this and I think she did. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think you'll be great at playing this widowed yeah, miserable ready. mother <laughs> who kinda hates her son. <laughs> oh man, I'm so curious to see your interpretation. Because I I think this movie is Definitely, there's a lot of things to just be interpreted and not as many concrete yeah, things. I mean, so when you yelled you wanted answers, I was just like, 
I'll give you my answers. <laughs> I don't know if they're the answers. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I will say, though, right off the bat, it really draws you in the way the opening was shot. Oh, yeah. It's pretty disorienting how it starts. But you can kind of put together because there's glass shattering all around there and headlights. So yeah. I don't know if you were able to figure it out right in that moment that it was like a car crash that she was kind of like living through. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you just see her kind of like fall into the bed and then that's how she wakes up. Mm-hmm. And we do, we see that effect too where a lot of times when she goes to bed for the night, she wakes up falling into it. Yeah. Which I thought was a cool way to show that she, even when she's sleeping, she's not getting rest. Like her mind is going so Ooh, crazy yeah. that she basically wakes up like out of a insane mental, you know, absolutely insane mental journey in her head that she goes through every single night. Yeah, which uh, you know helps define her just like sleeplessness and all of that things. But yeah, right off the bat, we see her and she's sharing a bed with her six-year-old son, who. You know, from far away, you could get, it almost looks like a loving little scene where, like, he's hugging her, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're like, oh, they're like, you know, a close mother and son, and then it cuts closer, and you could tell, like, he almost has, like, a death grip on her. Like, his his hands are, like, around her, like, neck and, like, her hair and just, like, clenching, and she just looks, like, she looks awake and miserable. You even then see them sleeping in the same bed, but as far apart as, like, physically possible. Uh-huh. Like, like he goes in and, like, touches her, and then she just separates from him right away. Yeah, I was creeped out by that. And there was even a point where he was kind of, like, hugging her, yeah. and, and then she was like, don't do that. Yeah. And I was like, does she not like to be squeezed? Like, what's happening yeah, here? Yeah. I was just, ooh. Right off the bat, you get the idea that this is not kind of just like a standard mother and son relationship, that there's some kind of strain between them. Right. And you don't know what it is yet. Um... But yeah, as this is opening up, like, I really, I kind of want to put a lot of this on you because, oh. like I said, this movie, a lot of it's open to interpretation by the time we get to the ending. So I kind of want to know where you were going with it, like, mentally as we were watching this, like, Oof. going through it. Uh, so um, as we, as this movie started, you know, we're basically seeing a glimpse of their life. Yeah. You get an idea that the son, Samuel, is just a, is a bit rambunctious, to say the least. I, I actually have a note here. Where the son, I think she's helping him getting get ready for school. Yeah. And he's going on talking about a monster or something at this point. And he goes, I'll smash its head in. Yeah, And then yeah. she's like, all right, let's go to school now. And I was like, that should lead to another conversation. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about you wanting to smash something's head yeah. in. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, but what I love about this story is that we are kind of starting in the middle of it. Like, this isn't at the start of their problems. Yeah. We're we're quickly learning that, that there's been problems a long time. And based on how fed up she is, that's not the first time Samuel's been spouting about monsters. Yeah. As far as we know, this could be the 10,000th time he said that. And she's just like, let's just go to fucking school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I was creeped out by that. And just... He's going crazy about a monster. He's constantly saying that, like... Well, this is what I'm gonna do when I see it. He's got homemade weapons at home. Yeah. So he's got this like catap- this catapult he built out of wood that throws like a a rock basically. Yo, at this point, I thought he was the Babadook. Like I didn't know what was. Yeah, that. yeah, no. I mean, you you immediately you're just like this kid is over hyper. He's at he needs attention every five seconds. Like if the mom's not even looking at him, he starts like mama, mama, you know, like yeah. Uh, you know, he's he does the magic to make his mom look at him. He's like, nothing in my hands, nothing in my hands. You know that thing. <laughs> He's breaking windows, and she just looks like she's at the end of a goddamn rope that we didn't even get see her climb. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, 
like her she's always all fucked up like visually you know like <laughs> her, her hair's messed up like she's got bags under her eyes i think the first time we see her smile is like at work but it's not like not a genuine smile yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a get through the day smile. like she's just worn out and it's crazy too because like the actress is like a very good looking woman you know but like you could just see the work they put in to just show the toll that raising this kid has put on her and just like the day-to-day strain like she's right she's not sleeping she's not having any real relationships and then this kid is way more than it seems like she can handle i don't know why but it is always creepy to me exploring this mother son or like parent kid relationship because it is so like it's realistic right to be annoyed with your kid or whatever so i knew i was going to be creeped out throughout the film just knowing that they were exploring that dynamic of loving your kid but also hating your kid yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's so scary yeah i love that this movie goes into that because you never see it it's always the story of unconditional love you see in these kind of things where you know something happens to the kid and the parent goes through hell to protect it you know this and that and yes that definitely exists people love their kids more than anything in the world but it's also it would be unrealistic to say there aren't people who like might really not <laughs> like their kids and then they hate themselves for that because they yeah. know that's like a bad selfish feeling there it doesn't mean they're not going to take care of their kids and like, it doesn't mean they're going to hurt their kids or do anything bad right it's just like you know at the end of the day when they're alone in the room they might be like i fucking can't stand this <laughs> this little brat you know what i mean uh, and it's not fun to talk about it's not it doesn't make you likable it's not you know it's not a good color to wear so right. that's why i know why most movies don't explore that and in an interview with Jennifer Kent, she actually said that was like the hardest thing in writing this, where she was like, I couldn't let the audience lose empathy for Amelia, the, mm. the mom, because he was she was so worried that if she wrote it too much one way, the audience would be like, she's a horrible mother and shouldn't have this kid. So like she had to find a mix of you not hating either of these people, because right. it's easy to hate the kid, but is it the kid's fault when he's six? And... He was raised by, I mean, it's not an absent mother, but it's almost like a mentally absent mother. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, she's clearly had, she clearly hasn't bounced back from the trauma that was having a kid and raising it alone without the father because he died the day that the kid was born. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, that's what we learned pretty soon is that their dad died driving them to the hospital right. when she was about to have Samuel. And that's kind of the dream she's in in the beginning of the movie. You realize that she's reliving the, the car crash. Yeah. And yeah, that's like the one of the most, I couldn't imagine how traumatic that would be to live through that. And to yeah. expect her to get over it is crazy. But then when you really think about seven years, like it's yeah. seven years of grief. It's not like this was like a year ago and she's still just like putting the pieces. Absolutely. Like the better part of a decade, like that would take its toll on you. Woof. Like she hasn't slept been normal felt normal for Mm -hmm. seven years and for the kid that's the only world he knows so when he has this active imagination when he's seeing monsters when he's you know it's like when you have it's (laughs) it's not like it in the true sense but i was gonna say it's like having a dog but i can imagine people with kids would find that oh But, like, it's not but for real. If you have a dog and you're an anxious, crazy, panicky person, that's what your dog's going to be. Like, it picks up on your vibes. Mm. So, if you're raising a kid, you know, from birth and you're the only parent and you're constantly anxious, worried, paranoid, delusional, like, They're going to pick up on that. That's what the kid is. 
And then, so, yeah, there are times in this movie where you're looking at Samuel and you're like, dude, shut up, you crazy psycho kid. Right. But it's like, that's all he knows. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what the mom, that's the vibe she's been putting out since the day he was born. Yeah. Because she's grieving and hasn't processed through any of this, her her own feelings. Right. That she can't even love the kid because she, it just reminds her of the worst day of her life. Yeah. You know? Her character just embodies denial. Just yeah. throughout. Even when she goes to the school because Samuel's been acting up. Yeah. Like, she's in denial that something is wrong with her. Like, she knows, but for some reason, like, when other people call it out, she denies it. Yeah. Like, they're like, we need to separate him from the rest of the kids. He's, like, bringing weapons to school and yep. all this. Like, I thought they were going to kick her son out. They were actually pretty reasonable. Yeah, and like, yeah. we'll keep him here. But And she's the one who ends up taking him out of school, which I... I, I just felt like that was unexpected to me. Um, I thought they were going to go the predictable route and be like, your kid can't come to the school anymore and that she was going to be stuck raising the kid. But mm-hmm. she ended up pulling him out yep. on her own, which was surprising to me knowing that she has to go to work and stuff. And it seems like, was that her sister? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Aunt Claire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's um, her sister. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, the movie doesn't have a lot of characters, but one of the few ones is, yeah, we have Amelia's sister, Claire. And she has a daughter who's, like, basically Sam's age. I don't know if they're the exact same age, but they're pretty close. And then she only has her neighbor as well to rely on. Yeah. Sometimes. uh, I forget her name. Mrs. something. Who has Parkinson's. Yeah, she's, like, an older woman with Parkinson's. And basically, you could tell, like, not only does Samuel not have any friends, he's, like, basically the only other kid he interacts with is his cousin. I don't remember her name, but Claire's daughter. Mm -hmm. But even they don't really get along. Like, it's always... They, they always feel like outsiders whenever they're around Claire. And Claire's a little bit judgmental. She has more of like a normal life, you yeah. know, like husband, kid, well-to-do with money and this and that. Their house is kind of like creepy as hell. You think so? I think so. Oh, you're talking about uh, Samuel and... Oh, yeah, the oh, main okay, house, okay. the main house, like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about architecture, but I was reading that that's like a Victorian-style house. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have those in Australia. Not, not that they don't have any of them, but it's very uncommon. You basically have to like be rich and build it from scratch. But Jennifer Kent said she didn't want to make this a strictly Australian-feeling movie. Mm. She wanted it to have just a broad appeal to, like, anybody anywhere. So she didn't want to have, like, Australian landmarks or too much, like, slang or or even houses that looked like Australia. Like, she wanted to kind of build this house so you can envision it kind of happening to to any family anywhere. Smart. Yeah, so, um, so they kind of, they built the whole house as, like, a set, like, you know, yeah. right from, from scratch. And, uh, like, aged all the wood and just made it look real creepy and gothic. And, and they accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Without getting too film school nerdy. Like, she got, you know, she was all inspired. This happens a lot with first-time filmmakers, too, where they, they want to put all their inspirations in it, too. Mm-hmm. So, you even notice they, whenever, she's watching TV a couple times in the movie and they'll show glimpses of, like, really old horror movies. Yeah. It's kind of her, like, giving a nod to where she got inspired, too. There's this French movie called The uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. And it's like a, I forget when it came, it might have been in the 60s or even earlier, but it was a horror movie and uh, it uses a lot of like harsh shadows and disorienting looking architecture and things like that to kind of make you feel unsettled. Mm-hmm. That and the old German movies, it's been said a thousand times, but it's called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Anyone who's taken a film class has probably watched it. So yeah, it's just a lot of like harsh, harsh shadows, harsh lighting, even the furniture, the floors, all right. the architecture, just a lot of things are jagged where... It makes it look like you're seeing, you know, images or shadows or shapes that might not be there. Yeah, uh-huh. that's pretty yeah. awesome. Super it was a, disorienting. R- yeah, and it was a pretty sweet way to sneak sneak that in. You know, her watching TV that 
in the few moments to herself that she has. Yeah, yeah. I was very upset that they lived in this huge house. I'm just like, just move to a studio at that point. You don't need... Uh, yes, you're going to be haunted in a huge house. I know. I mean, that's where <laughs> horror movies thrive. Like, we have very few horror movies that take place in apartments. <laughs> you know, just because there's not as many places to put scenes. You know, yeah. like, you, you got to... If we got haunted in this apartment, there's, like, four, three rooms it could happen in. You yeah, know, like, yeah. it's either there and here or over there. If I, if I get one hint of a haunting, I'm moving to a <laughs> studio. Oh, man. I'm going to hang out. Well. I'm going to go Beastie Boys style where my toilet's <laughs> next to the fridge. Everything, um, I, I could see everything at once. Yep. Then you get a, you have your snacks while you bathe. <laughs> like yeah. the Beastie Boys. <laughs> Read the Beastie Boys book. It's a good book. <laughs> so yeah, this whole opening, we're just kind of getting a glimpse of their life. We're learning these, you know, their facts about these backstories, you know, sprinkled in throughout the scenes. And then we get the traditional horror movie, like things kickoff scene and that's when she's going to read samuel a book in bed and she at tells him he could pick any book he wants and he finds this red book on the shelf and based on her reaction it looks like she'd never seen it before mm-hmm. and it's called mr babadook and where were you at when they pulled this out i was like put that away first of all you question if there's a book in your house that you haven't seen before Ugh. um <laughs> it gets so angry with horror movies no but i, I understand that but I think all this makes sense for Amelia. Yeah. For what she's going through, why would she remember that? Exactly what... She could have got a, be- a box of books from Aunt Claire and been like, here. Yeah, that's true. Present. Like, uh, yes, I understand those arguments, but I think if anytime they come up in this movie, I might be wrong. Maybe there's something that can stump me, but I think narratively it all makes perfect. There's not a single thing Amelia does that I can't say, that I can't rationalized because of the mental state she's in i should i should really say i'm this is all coming from a place of me not wanting to watch a horror movie just (laughs) questioning everyone's actions no but i get it there's there's a thousand of bad written horror movies where someone's like you know yeah there's cops over there or you can you know go grab this thing you know it's just like why wouldn't you go do the logical thing you know like so i get it but this movie i think it's it's too smart for that i thought the book itself was very impressive oh i love the book i thought it was fantastic i i felt like the pop out made it less scary but like the way they shot the book and how it transformed and towards the end yeah really made it oh, it, I you love went it. through the emotions yeah right? that's cool you thought it was less scary i, th- I thought the pop-up books the pop-up parts made it even like creepier no i thought the pop-up in the beginning like when they first opened it oh okay, okay. it was it wasn't scary yeah, at all yeah, 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 and yeah. then just the way like you closed in and how the the visuals of the pop-ups yeah. transformed well, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think that's the kind of the way the book's supposed to lay out in the story, yeah. too, where yeah. they think they're reading a kid's book, and then it slowly starts getting scarier and scarier yeah. as they're reading it. So I was really impressed with the book. Yeah, the book was awesome. Uh, they had a little feature on the DVD about like with a guy who designed the book. I never watched it. I meant to YouTube it, but I forgot. But apparently he designed the, s- the opening credits for the United States of Terra. Oh, I love that show. Is the intro of that like pop-up books? Yeah. Yeah, that that guy is the guy who designed the Babadook book. I actually want you to watch that show. Even though... That's hilarious. I'm so sad because it got canceled, I think, three seasons in on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I'll still watch it. (sighs) As long as I know that's coming, I can deal with it. I just hate when you don't know it's coming. Freaking good show. But yeah, so he designed what the book looks like. It was all done, you know, with charcoal Mm -hmm. by hand and everything like that. So, uh... And it was like a legit working pop up book, like and everything. Like he he showed, he picked it up out of a, out of a drawer in the in the special feature. 
Yeah. And you, go, you can buy replicants of it, but on like eBay and stuff, but they're like $900. Whoa. Yeah. Like it's, one of the, when, when it first got released on Blu-ray, I remember one of the expensive special editions. It wasn't the full book, but the Blu-ray kind of looked like the book and it had one page of pop-ups. Like, so when you open the Blu-ray to get the disc out, oh, the Baba that's fun. Up, but I don't think that's in print anymore. That's not <laughs> the one I have. So we, yeah, we get this book and they start reading the story of Mr. Babadook, yeah. uh, which is super creepy and ominous. Where did that name come from? So Yeah, it's all completely made up. Jennifer Kent, she, she said she was just trying to think of something that a kid would think up <laughs> if they were naming something. And she said she was kind of basing it off of, you know, like the Jabberwocky from Alice in Wonderland. Uh-huh. Kind of like that. Like that doesn't mean anything, but it's like, you know, it's like a monster in, in kids things. So she's like Babadook. Kind of just like sounded like something, you know, like a kid's monster, you know, like just the fact that it's unfamiliar makes it so yeah. scary. And and then I read a couple other things. I can't find any true facts like of uh, what's straight on what, but it doesn't have a true meaning. But I know one of the like fun little tidbits about the like a trivia fact about the name is it is an anagram for a bad book. Oh, so if you if you rearrange fun. the letters, but yeah, so it's um, Duke. <laughs> And then, yeah, like she was just looking for just like a children's scary story, something that, you know, comes in your room at night and kind of just a very classic, the kind of stuff she was scared of as a kid. And so they just tried to like think of their own lore with their own, they wrote a little poem. I was like, no author. There's no author on the book. Yeah. So yeah, it's super super creepy. I don't even know. Is this the time when she realizes there's no author? Because it just cuts from her reading it and him like starting to get scared and scared. It's just a smash cut of him crying in her lap. Yeah. Like bawling his eyes out. Well, she looks at it a little bit before she starts reading it. Yeah. But I mean, she's clearly sleep deprived, you know? So I feel like, and that actually was very scary for me because I could tell that she hadn't gone through sleep. They do this sort of very subtle time lapse effect on her when she's sleeping, which I thought was very effective. And like you said earlier, like you could tell that she doesn't get sleep. So I, that to me, actually had me questioning throughout the movie like how much of it was real and if she was hallucinating at some mm. point but yeah that really made it more painful to watch yeah awesome yeah i know that's true i love all those effects because yeah like i said the falling out of the bed she always wakes up in a shock basically yeah the time lapse shows her it's not a deep sleep that feels like a long time it feels like an instant and she wakes yeah. up and she feels like nothing changed you know like right it's uh it's pretty crazy but i i felt really bad because this kid's already paranoid about some um, monster, right? Yeah. And then he, he wants to know what happens in the book. But for him, it's like the book is proof that something exists and is yeah, in that house. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, and now, so then, yeah, we just get him just so worried about the Babadook constantly. And Claire doesn't want them anywhere near them because he just keeps scaring her daughter with Babadook ooh, talk. Yeah. Um, we find out that they've always combined birthdays with claire with yes. uh, claire's daughter and and samuel <laughs> and that this year is the fr- she doesn't want to do it like she's fed up with samuel she thinks he's weird she wants a princess party it's so funny to me because i thought that that girl wasn't completely like normal nice cousin uh-huh. until that scene in the treehouse oh yeah no she's a piece of shit <laughs> she sucks <laughs> yeah she's like you don't have a he died because he didn't want to be your dad i'm like jesus christ and what's even (laughs) fucked up too is like she's having this fucking princess party with all these friends and all this stuff samuel's just sitting in the treehouse alone because she the mom says she has to go play and he's too freaked out so he just goes and sits alone and she like 
goes into the treehouse just to talk shit. Like, yeah. It's, it's not like he was, like, being weird and ruining her fun, and then she had, like, talked back. Like She had to go up yeah, in there she's and like, be like, I'm leaving my party to go up here and tell this kid he ain't shit. <laughs> Never will be shit. This is my treehouse, and you can't be in my treehouse. Yeah, oh, so he fucking sucked. pushes her out the goddamn thing and that, break, breaks her nose. I, uh, like, shock laughed out loud. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I knew it was coming, but, yeah. like, to see it. So Claire already didn't want them around, but, like, this was the last straw where now she's like, I don't want you fuckers anywhere yeah. near me. I thought it was very effective to show Amelia with other quote-unquote normal women because it helped emphasize like how i guess not unstable but how she was in comparison to like normal women around her yeah you know what i mean yeah and, and uh, those women were jerks as well yeah they all suck <laughs> they and, all suck. you know it's pretty easy to tell but like these the classic uh framing where all the other women were always, all five of them were in the same shot. Yeah. And then anytime Amelia talked, it would cut to her on the other side of the room completely alone. You know, they were framed pointing up. She was yeah. framed pointing down. Like, she felt like nothing. Like, you know, like, they're, yeah. they're talking about, like, oh, my, the charity I usually give to is blah, 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 this. And, like, yeah. Amelia just can't relate to their shitty. But I did love that Amelia spoke up about it. Yeah. I feel like that never happens. Yep, yep. She really talked, clapped back. And I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. Because you feel bad for Amelia so much, but it's also like she's doing it and like it's like you have to help yourself, but you can't get like mad. You know what I mean? Right. Because even, you know, there's that brief character of uh, her coworker who's definitely into her. Yes. And he like he does nice stuff for her. Like he tells her to go home. I'll cover your shift. And it's like the one person who like genuinely like wants to. I mean, the neighbor likes her too, but like who genuinely is interested in Amelia, but Amelia's so just closed off emotionally that she's not mean to the guy at all. Mm -hmm. She's just nowhere near being anywhere emotionally ready to, like, open up and let somebody in or even... You know what I mean? Like, she yeah. can't even... She just ruins the whole thing without intentionally even doing it. She's just so in her own depression and grief right. that it's like she can't even open up to let good things in because this guy seems like nothing but a good guy. Right. The way he kind of exits the movie was actually a little abrupt for me. Yeah. Because he comes after covering her shift over to the house. The excuse she uses is that her son was sick, right? Yeah. And he brings over like a gift for the son and quickly realizes that he wasn't actually sick, has brought flowers or whatever. And yeah. then it cuts to a scene where he's clearly left after finding this out. Yeah. And then you never see him again. I thought that was so... I was not expecting that. And I guess it's because I'm so conditioned to like having a guy be sort of part of the story once he's introduced. Yeah, like like he was going to be there till the end. Like, no, I'm going to stay with you. This right. Or like see some sort of wrapping of that yeah, story. Yeah, I could see that being the expectation. But I loved it the way it plays out because to me, it's it was like Amelia. It was just further cementing the fact that she wasn't going to let anything good in her life. Mm. And you can see... In the beginning, she's still trying to kind of hold on to that semblance of normalcy. Like, she makes excuses for Samuel. She tries to lie. When he says something that's embarrassing in public, she tries to stop him. So the whole, like, you know, she doesn't want to go to work because she's having problems with her son and she's depressed and can't deal with it. But she makes up this whole thing. He's sick and this and that. He brings over the gift. And then when she's caught in it, she just goes full-blown, like, I got problems. Like, cause, right. Because immediately she goes, oh, she's not sick. He's just disobedient. She just starts yelling at her son as if he's not there. Mm -hmm. And that was, to me, like, her last letting go of even just pretending that she's okay. Like, fully embracing that she's fucked up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, or, like, that has problems in her house and that, you know? 
So I think I think that was just like the last step of like she's not going to get better until she gets worse. Interesting. In, 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 in an interesting way. I'm pretty much like editing what I'm saying until I hear what Why? you say oh. because I I have this this is like a theory thing and I like I don't, uh, okay. I, don't, I don't want my thoughts to taint your thoughts until I hear what you say because I know I've had my thoughts for six years. But I want to take a step back quick because from the beginning we kind of get tricked a little bit as an audience because the kid clearly has like something going on mentally, right? Yeah. So you kind of right off the bat are like, okay, like he's kind of like weird. Something's going on with him. But then he is insistent about, you know, talking to his mom and being like, I'm always going to protect you. Promise you're always going to protect me. Yeah. And kind of like trying to get that going with his mom. So as the story goes on where the Babadook really starts to manifest, manifest yeah. I kept, I wrote down a note being like, I don't know whether to be impressed or freaked out by this kid. Like, yeah. I just don't know what to think about him no yeah i agree i think there is a bit of a bait and switch where we're so like you know and ever since the omen we've pretty much been and and the exorcist we've been like waiting for like evil kids in horror movies is not (laughs) uncommon so when you just see you hear this is a scary movie about some kind of entity this kid's clearly all fucked up he's either gonna get possessed or at least be able to connect with this ghost or demon or whatever and i think it is a great bait and switch to kind of slowly start realizing that like because it's if you you want to, as an audience member, when you're hearing a story, you want to trust that the parent has the best interest of the kids right. in mind. And if there's a problem with the kid, you look to, like, how's the parent handling it? The parent knows what to do in these situations. And I think this movie slowly trickles in where you start questioning Amelia. And you were like, is that the healthiest thing to do in this situation? <laughs> like, should you be reacting that? You know what I mean? And this yeah. and that. As much as he's weird and you want to believe there's something wrong with him and there is probably something wrong with him. They do convey those lines like that of like, I'll always protect you. Like, he's an innocent in all of this. Yeah. And that's what is like, it's the product of how you were born and who your parent is and the environment you were around. Right. And like, he just, he loves, the only thing he knows is that he loves his mom. And it's hard to even tell if the mom loves him back. Like, she's never hugging him. He's always hugging her. Right. So, yeah, to go off what you were saying. Exactly. And that's why, to me, the kid was a completely different kid in the end of this movie than he was in the beginning. Yes, but also, I mean, in the very beginning, he's in the basement making plans on how to kill this monster. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to smash his head in. Like, you know, so I think, yes, he's braver, but he's also... He goes from being the crazy one to then how we perceive the story, almost the one with like the clearest head. Right. And you brought it up earlier, I think off mic, and it's one of my favorite lines in the movie, but Samuel's talking about the Babadook freaking out in his room. The mom is starting to get really frustrated and telling him to cut it out. There is no Babadook. What are you talking about? And then he freaks out and pushes her down and gets in her face and goes, Do you want to die? That's why I wrote, Do you want to die? I remember the first time I saw that, that like changed everything (laughs) for me. I was like... No matter what you believe, this kid is like, there's a monster. It is coming after my mom, and I have to, like, Yo. you know, it's like, it's it's crazy how much sense he made to me in that moment. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it went from me being like, this kid's all fucked up. We need to get him checked out. He's seeing monsters. Yeah. To them just being like, oh, the mom doesn't get it. The kid gets it. You know Damn. what I mean? Like, it's it's insane. That's why I wrote that down. I thought I was writing that about the characters, but I completely remember this scene now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, that's why when you told me, like, you know, I don't know why I wrote this. I was like, I don't know why you wrote it. 
which actually reminds me of another scene where she brings Samuel to the doctor. Yeah. And how sad and depressing that was. Like, her talking to the doctor and being like, I just need sleep. Like, yeah. give me something she to give to begs, this kid. Yeah, she begs him for tranquilizers. She... And, like, the doctor, like, clearly, he's like, I only want to do it in extreme cases. And she's like, this is extreme. Yeah. And so she does get some drugs for the kids. She ends up, uh, you know, after a couple of scares, she hides the the Babadook book. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps, you know, reappearing. Yeah. Things like that. You know, like the classic, you know, Jim Carrey throwing out the mask in the fucking, <laughs> you know, the mask coming back. Oh, yeah. Spoken! He ends up ripping it up. You know, she hears the knock at the door, the three Babadooks. Jesus the... Christ. Woman, did you read the book? I know. I just love because every time it knocks, it's like... It's three, just like the book says. Uh, uh, and then the book is there, like, taped back together with new even words. Even more impressive. Yeah. <laughs> with, with new words in it. You know, like, the more you deny, the stronger I become yeah. and all this stuff. And so she's trying to just keep, like, dismiss it as if it's nothing. But there's clearly yeah. something going on I was here. like, woman, you're denying it. Uh, yeah, you're denying it. <laughs> um, so they start taking the sleeping pills. And they do both, you know, sleep through the night in a long time. But it doesn't really solve any of their problems. Yeah. At this point, whatever the equivalent of Australian social services shows up to kind of check in on them because, you know, she pulled them out of school and all that. Yeah. And then and things just keep getting worse and worse for this lady. I don't know why, but that gave me, like, comedy bit vibes. A those two bit. people. Yeah, well, because it was like, you know, the kid did the classic, like, oh, I'm just a little tired from the drugs. Mom gave me. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. and uh, The one moment of relief I had yeah. when we watched. <laughs> and so, yeah. And meanwhile, like, you know, we don't have to go through it. It's piece by piece but just the babadook just keeps terrorizing amelia you know one of the big ones was she starts seeing all these cockroaches come out of the wallpaper yeah and she rips it open and there's a huge hole with tons of roaches coming out she cleans everything and then when the people come over she goes to show them and there's nothing there's nothing there. yeah the whole hallucination things that's why i was like it might be the sleep deprivation yeah. even though she's taking all these pills i don't know if this scene has already happened by this point but the whole don't let him in really freaked me out, especially when we get to the scene where they kind of see the physical Babadook. Yeah. And her mouth is open, screaming, and like, oh! Yeah, they do like a first-person camera where like, you're, like, you're seeing the Babadook go like into her mouth, basically. <laughs> I was like, don't let him in! Don't let him in! Yeah, because that was part of, the, part of the book rhyme is if oh, you let Jesus him in. Jesus Christ. I was so upset with her. And also we find out during this time, uh, during all these scenes, at some point in the beginning, that the basement is basically... She doesn't allow Sam to go down there, and that's where she keeps everything locked up that belonged to her husband. Right. Again, this is like I said, it's the movie's the perfect epitome of the whole show don't tell thing, where mm-hmm. she's literally not dealing with the death of her husband by just putting it in another room and closing the door. Yeah. And then when Sam goes down there, she just locks it. Like mm-hmm. instead of dealing, she just keeps hiding away her her emotions and like walking the other way instead of dealing with any of it face on. Absolutely. Which I think is a big theme in this whole thing. I'm starting to develop a theory about the Babadook. Nice. All right. So at this point, I want to go right into spoilers because I got things I got to say that are on my mind. And you just told me you're developing theories, which got me excited. (laughs) So let's fucking do it. I'm giving up on the rule of threes because of the three knocks of the Babadook. (laughs) As an editor, I'm never cutting with rules of threes ever again. It's rules of twos or fours. If you go into... If you go into comedy, you can be the worst comedian ever. <laughs> Show us those twos and fours. <laughs> Rules of three. <laughs> so we see kind of 
Amelia getting more and more just kind of, not necessarily violent, but just more antagonistic against Samuel. Right. And saying super mean things to him and just acting a little more crazier and a little bit more like... Yeah, that's how it starts. Yeah, it starts. But then there's that thing where we don't see it because it's all like camera movements, but it almost looks like the Babadook like jumps on her back when she's on the floor and her her pupils get super yeah. wide. Yeah. And then that's when she just starts acting super cuckoo. Oh, I right? did not like that. At, all. <laughs> at this point, Samuel is just like, I need to save my mom. But he's being drugged simultaneously. Yeah, because I mean, he's been hyper vigilant against there being a monster in the house since before mm-hmm. there was even a monster in the house. Yeah. So to him be off his senses, it's like a little bit, uh, yeah, it's, it's jarring and you're like a little extra worried about what's going on. I don't even know if that statement is correct. Before there was a monster in, a, uh, in the house. What okay. if there was always a monster in Whoa. the house? Amelia then has kind of a vision of going into the basement and seeing her husband alive there. Right. Where I mean, at first it seems like this like loving moment where she starts hugging him and she's like, I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. And, you know, this is, you can tell this is the first time she's even processing anything about her husband. Like, yeah. even, usually Samuel's the one who brings it up and she just tells her not to talk about it. And to quickly rewind to, as a scene earlier with her sister, with Claire, where Claire is telling her, like, you have to get over your husband. You know, it's been seven years. And her response I thought was really interesting where she's like, I have gotten over it. I don't even think about it ever. Like, you <laughs> know, like to the point where she just like shut the door on it instead of going through the grieving process like you're supposed to. Yeah. You know, so it's, she's hugging this vision of her husband she's having. But then the vision tells me to bring bring the boy, you know, and basically convincing her that Samuel has to die. Yeah, you know? that was freaking creepy. And it's crazy because... She doesn't like herself for having this feeling, but I get the sense whenever she's super annoyed with Samuel, that's when she blames him for the death of her husband. Because, mm-hmm. you know, think it like, you know, her husband's the person she's loved more than anything in the world. It's got to be a little bit different if you have a kid with someone. You know, you both have the kid a couple of years and one of you passes away. Yeah. But the fact that it was like, it was her and her husband, then a tragedy, and then her and this kid. Absolutely. You know, and it's like, you know, like I said, it's not a... It's not a good color to wear. Nobody's going to like you for this or find you sympathetic. But, you know, she can look at this kid and hate him, you know, for, for what happened, how how her life changed from the moment he came into this world. Yeah, she was automatically alone with this kid to, like, raise and yeah. love. So it almost doesn't even feel like the kid of her and her husband. It, like, you know, it's like a product of this whole. Yeah. And we, uh, we kinda, I didn't mention it earlier outright, but when I said earlier how Samuel always shares the birthday party with her, his cousin. That's because on the actual birthday is the anniversary of the death of her husband. So she doesn't want to celebrate on that day. So she's yeah. never let him celebrate his birthday on that day because she doesn't want to think about. It's a pretty weird thing to come up with. Yeah, it's insane. I was surprised the kid knew that that wasn't his birthday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that she, that even yeah, at six, he was able to comprehend that that happened to his dad. Like, yeah. you know, like when did she first tell him and things like that? Yeah. The more and more this movie went on, the more I was impressed with the main mental capabilities of this kid yeah. to be able to take all of this like misery in. And he's essentially sort of being parentified by like having to sort of take care or look after his mother you know in in a mental way like he was always like i'll protect you i'll do all of these things where but like and giving all of this emotion to his mom and just her not reciprocate being able to reciprocate yeah like ever like he even just wants her to say like will you protect me too like you know i'll protecting you can you give me the same like courtesy 
and even it goes even to the point where he tries to sneak out and call Aunt Claire to be like, "Can you yeah, come over? Like, Jesus. mom's not right." And then that's when the mom just snaps and tri- this, she's saying like, "I'm gonna bring you to your father," and tries to, you know. Oh wait, we did. Fuck, I keep skimming over stuff. After she rips up the book and sees the new pages, it be- the book becomes a lot more violent, and there's images of her. Uh, or of a, of a woman in the pop-up book strangling a dog and yeah. then murdering a kid and then killing herself. Yep. So that's kind of like foreshadowing, like that's the path she's going down. Absolutely. Every night instead of sleeping, she's watching TV to the point where she sees a news, uh, a fake, or she envisions herself watching a news broadcast about a woman who killed her kid <sighs> and killed herself. And then you see her in the window of the newscast smiling through the window and just fucking that scaring That was the shot. freaky. Yeah. And the blurring of, of all the lines just start coming in at this point where you don't know what the fuck's going on in her brain. Like, what is, what yeah. is she seeing? Who is, when is she herself? Because sometimes she's still trying to make up with Sam and sometimes she's not. I really hated that shot of the window. Yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> so yeah, after catching Sam trying to call for help, she basically locks all the doors, locks them both in, and then tries to kill Samuel and then this fucking crazy ass kid is like ready for it <laughs> all the weapons we've been seeing him concoct Home Alone style he starts using against his mom yeah shoots her in the arm with a dart not a dart uh, an arrow fucking nails her in the head with a rock like these are like serious shit yeah and I I think her whole transformation is just really scary because yes she starts to manifest like the Babadook manifest in her and she's very hostile towards Samuel, but she's also hostile towards everybody else. Like on uh, the neighbor, for example. Yeah, like she Yeah, the neighbor's nothing but loving and she just keeps getting more and more annoyed yeah, with it. Yeah, I was so scared that she was gonna die. Yeah, too. that poor that neighbor was such a sweetheart. I yeah. felt so bad. Like every time she's just like, I have nothing but love for you and little Samuel and she was <laughs> always just like cold as fuck to her. Like as the movie goes on, colder yeah. and colder. Oh, I really felt bad about that. And that's another thing. Like I said, how she drove away that other guy who was nothing but nice. Like, it's just, to me, that shows a pattern of what's been going on for the last seven years. Yeah. That it's not even necessarily that these are the only two people who have ever been nice to her. That anyone who has been nice eventually Mm -hmm. stops because she's so cold that she doesn't reciprocate. Yeah. To the point where, like we said, she doesn't reciprocate to her own son. Like, she doesn't hug him. He hugs her. If he hugs her too long or too tight, she says, stop touching me, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, she clearly wants love. Like, when she gets aroused by, you know, like, that movie clip. Yeah, she tries to, you know, use a vibrator for five seconds of peace, but even Samuel interrupts that. So, that's another thing where you just believe, like, her mental state. You I I mean, I totally empathize with it. I think Jennifer Kent's totally succeeded where I don't ever hate either of these two people. Right. I'm just, I just feel pain for them. You know, like, I'm just like, I want, I want you guys to be better. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I understand why you are like you are, but it's horrifying. Yeah. You know? Um, and but... yeah, she watches other couples make out. Like, when she sees, like, couples, you know, showing affection, she just, like, you know, like, you, you would, I would guess she hasn't had sex since Samuel was conceived. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, let alone masturbated, you know? So. But like you said, the mom goes crazy and... He, it is Home Alone style, you know, Samuel trying to get his mom to like... Yeah, he's, he, yeah like or, I said, he shoots her in the arm, yeah. he gets her in the head, and then she's coming down the stairs, he pulls a string and trips her, and then he just comes up and gets her right in the back of the knees. It's a great... <laughs> just like, ah! Oh, uh, and then she wakes up fucking Gulliver's Travel style, just fully tied up to the floor. But what I love is like in this moment, the emotional maturity of Sam, you know, he truly... 
is like, this is a monster's taking over my mom. And because we see all these violent tendencies and him not being rational the whole movie, I remember the first time I saw it, I was a little worried. I was like, is he about to like fucking bash her skull in? You know what I mean? Because yeah. he's like, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to smash its head in. But then that's when you see the turn in Samuel right away, even though he knows it's a monster. He's talking to his mom and he's like, I'm not going to leave you, mom. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. And he's like, and I love you. And I know you don't love me because the Babadook won't let you. Aww. And I was like, like, that's the first time, you know, like he realizes it too. Like, yeah. it's not just us watching her not hug him. Like as a six year old, he understands you haven't like I've been I've loved you my whole life. You've never loved me, but it's not. It's the Babadook. It's like, you know what I mean? This kid was peeing in his pants two oh, scenes yeah. before. He and so he's scared. so brave. Uh, and then that's when, you know, she's try- she breaks out with one arm. She starts choking him. He's stroking her face. And then that's just like, she throws him away and then throws up all this black goop. Ugh. Uh, the black goop really yeah. got me. And then uh, the Babadook like manifests itself in the basement. And then she finally like stands up to it. And acknowledges that it's there and yeah. yells at it and tells it to get the fuck out of her house. And then we just see it collapse to the ground. Then smash cut to, you know, a year later. Right? It's a year later? Because it's his know. birthday. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. So it's like a year later, we see Amelia and Samuel, you know, looking like they've been sleeping and like normal people. They're having a birthday party in the social services. People are there again. And this time, just everything's looking a lot better. And then at the very end. <laughs> again, the comedy bit. Yeah. Scenario where he's like, this is my first birthday party because my dad died on my birthday. So this is the first time we're celebrating. And if you notice, that's the only time she never stops him from saying that. Yeah. All the other times in the movie when he says that, she's like, Samuel, it's inappropriate. Right. And this time she's just like, yep, like that's, that's, that's our story. Uh, And then we see her. (laughs) He's just like his father. And I'm just going through all this because I have a lot of ideas about this part of the movie, but I just want to lay it out the way we see it. Right. Like plot wise, like not theory was absolutely so then we just see samuel and the mom in the backyard play and samuel does one of his magic tricks and it actually like pulls off really well yeah and they're both happy they're laughing they're collecting worms and then she says i'll be right back goes down to the basement kind of almost like falls backwards from kind of like a roar that you hear which almost sounds like the babadook from earlier Mm -hmm. and then she gets back up puts some worms down we see it fly off into the Yep. Into the darkness, she goes up, hugs Samuel, and that's the end of the movie. And uh, that's our show. So uh, thank you. <laughs> you better have answers. What do you got? I, I want to know what you've got. Come All right, on. So I will say this isn't a movie with solid answers. It's kind of an interpretation movie, in my opinion. And even if it's not, I've read some stuff that the director said, and I kind of interpreted it a slightly different way. So before I tell so you, so you have two interpretations. Well, you have your original and the one after. Kind of, sort of, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I stand by how I feel about the movie. But especially because earlier you said you were developing some theories, I gotta right. know what's going on in your head. So okay. what did you like? Because it ended, you had to have thought something. Like you couldn't. Like what was going on? Well, I didn't have any thoughts last night because I was just angry that it didn't give me flat out answers. Um... <laughs> So basic. Oh, uh, listen. I want my answers. <laughs> no. I want them on a plate with a, with a side dish. And I want them now. <laughs> I want everything told to me. <laughs> you wanted the scene at the end of Psycho where the guy talks for 15 minutes. About yeah, I wanted, I wanted a psychologist <laughs> to come in and tell See, me what happened. Back in the 60s, they couldn't pull that off. But now we've grown past that as audiences. <laughs> so we don't need a, 10 minutes of explanation about what we just saw. All right. So I have a thought, but... It really doesn't take this whole worm thing into account. So that's what I want answers 
about. Ay, ay, ay. But I do think that it was not, The Babadook is not a children's book. It was intended for, uh, it's intended for adults. I think that The Babadook is in all of us, really. And it's up to us whether or not we control it or if manifest. Because when The Babadook book comes back, right? Yeah. It, she's in the book. It's all of her thoughts. Like You're her talking about very, after she rips it up the first time. After she rips it up the first time, she it, it reappears all like ripped up and stuff, but put back together. And it shows her strangling her dog, killing her son, killing herself. Like these are all dark thoughts that I imagine she has had to have yeah. already on her own. But because she let the Duke in and has basically given it power... It's allowing all of her dark thoughts to manifest and her to actually go through with all of those things. So I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like she let the Babadook take over. But like, where did the book come from? And what's with the worms? Uh, I told you, I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I just think that, I don't know. Because at the end of the day, when I look at movies like this, I'm always like, what What does the monster want? What does the bad thing in a horror movie want? Yeah. And that was never really clear to me. Like, yes, we had that scene with her and her husband um, asking her to, like, bring the son. Yeah. And to kill the son. But, like, like why? You know? Like, I never got an answer of, like, what what's in it. Like, is it because it feeds on souls of children like yeah. and you never get a clear answer which is why i was always thinking like maybe it's not its own thing yeah i don't know that's where i landed sweet oh, <laughs> all right i so, could tell that i'm wrong by like there's you. no wrong there's no no i'm serious i'm not like there isn't there's purposefully no answers like it's not there's not a wrong at okay. all that was pretty that was great like i think you uh you looked at it with the way it's in all of us i think in a way where i didn't think of it like that and yeah, no, I think it's completely valid what you just were thinking of. And I guess I also, I mean, I don't have an explanation for the worms thing, but that's why I think that it's still in the basement. Because no matter what, that dark side of us mm-hmm. is always somewhere in there. And you kind of like have to keep it tamed and locked away. Yeah. So like, that's where I got that. Cool, cool. No, I think that's great. That's an awesome interpretation. So this is the way I'm, I observe this movie. And again, this isn't the way to read the movie. This is okay. how me. I, I thought this about like three quarters of the way through watching it the first time. And then this time I purposely was like, I'm going to watch it through that lens to see if it still makes sense okay. to me. And it just does where there, I look at this movie as there being no actual physical monster. Mm-hmm. There's no Babadook that exists. There's there's nothing supernatural about this movie at all, the way I watch it. I think every single thing that the Babadook is visually is just a representation of the grief of Amelia. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a mixture of her grief, her repressed trauma, her lack of sleep, and her creative imagination that created everything. So I think the reason the book appears out of nowhere without her having any memory of it is I think she wrote the book. Damn. Um, the main reason I think this is because in the scene when she's at the birthday party talking to the other moms, they <gasps> literally say, why don't you try writing again? You haven't you haven't thought about, you used to be a, such a good writer. What happened to oh that? And she God. said, I've been so busy. I haven't had any time to pour into my writing. Whoa. So the fact that she would write a 
book. And it doesn't say what kind of writer she is, but I take it to the fact that she was a children's book writer. Yeah. That's my interpretation. So That's insane. She wrote the Babadook because it was her own brain doing this, and her brain was also the bad guy. It was also keeping her feeling insane. She was basically gaslighting herself, so by destroying the book, she then goes to the cops to say someone's terrorizing me with a book, and they go, let me see the evidence. She goes, oh, I burned it already. And then when you look down, her fingers are covered in charcoal. The entire book is written in charcoal. So yes, you could say it's from burning the book. Oh my god, my mind is blown. So... It's And that's why when the book comes back after the first time she rips it up, it's not magically back in perfect form. It's taped back together with scotch tape. It's it, That's, to me, that was her in... And they're new drawings. Yeah, and there's new drawings based on what happened before. And then the violent stuff that she draws, she draws herself. So I think this entire movie, every single thing is her imagination mixed with all this repressed trauma manifesting itself as this fake monster. And then... It seems real because the kid believes it wholeheartedly because he's been living his whole life like this. She's been, not that she's been this crazy ever since he was born, but yeah. it's been slowly, that's the vibe she's been putting out there this whole time. And maybe even in her sleep or in, in blacked out states, she's doing things that she doesn't realize she's doing that's putting these ideas in the kid's head. Aww. Which is why before we think of the Babadook, the kid's already going, there's a monster, there's a monster. There's already been certain things of manifestations like that in this house. Right. And every single time we see something that's quote-unquote supernatural, I think it's just her brain rationalizing it. The whole time she's seeing this monster, the Babadook, towards the end of the movie and that final kind of fight and struggle is the first time she's facing it. So it's when the kid has her tied up and he says, you know, like, you can't love me, it's because of the Babadook. The Babadook is her grief. It's mm. it's her realizing that it's not it's not that she hates her son, it's this grief that she's not dealing with that's stopping her from loving her son. So like when he says, like, it's you you don't love me, and it's it's the because the Babadook won't let you, it's it's that's when her, she first realizes she's being controlled by her own emotions. Wow. And then that's the first time she steps out of it halfway, where she's like holy shit, I need to like actually deal with this instead of keep hiding it. I can't lock it in the basement. I can't repress this. And then that's when, if you remember, towards the end of the scene, we see the kid fly up the stairs. Like It's it's almost like the kid is getting yeah. pulled by the monster yeah. and getting pulled. And so I still envision that as that's still her doing that to him. Like she pulls him up. Like, there's no magic. She pulls him up the stairs. She's banging him against the wall. But because it's the oh. first time that she's learning to step away from this creature and accept the reality is she's now seeing it with one foot out the door. So in her mind, she's seeing an invisible force doing it. So, you know, like it's still her doing it, but she's taking a step out into reality. And then the next step is when she finally stands up and says, get out of my house. Cause she's talking to her grief and all this like dark cloud that she's been bringing on everything emotionally. And then the whole end thing with the worms is, you know, I'm no psychologist. I don't. I don't have that much knowledge on this. But from everything I understand, it's when you, if you have true grief like that in your life, you're not getting rid of it. You can't get rid of grief. If someone you love dies, if something tragic happens to you, it's always going to be there. And the healthy thing to do is to learn how to manage it, to learn how to live with it, and to not get, not let it take over you mm-hmm. emotionally. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's so that's why it's healthy to cry. It's healthy. To, you know, it's it's healthier to cry over something sad than to be like, yeah, whatever, I don't care about that, you know? Right. So the whole end of the movie is they're not healthy yet in my mind, but they're taking the step into getting healthy by accepting the bad things in their life. And her going down and feeding the Babadook worms is kind of her way of living with her trauma. 
And so when she goes downstairs and then you see like the bob like the camera kind of goes at her and she goes like, oh, it almost yeah. loses her balance. And then she gets her, she regains her step. That to me is showing she's on the first step to truly being able to master this because even when the trauma tries to knock her down, she says, fuck you and just stand strong right. instead of earlier in the movie where it would have washed over her and taken over her entire reality and her identity and all of this shit. Right. So. Yeah. Cause I was like, <laughs> I mean, what you're saying is crazy. makes sense, but it was pretty scary and loud the way it yelled at her sort of, yeah. um, when she was in the basement, I was like, damn, you have to do this every single day. Yeah. So that makes sense. That's like the first sign. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's still, you know, I, and if you were to ask me literally what happens to the bowl of worms, there's probably just hanging out down there. I don't know. But I think she's still using these childish ways to explain it because A, her imagination, but B, Samuel's still young. Remember Samuel's like, can I go downstairs and see it? Like, because Samuel believes the Babadook is in the basement. And she's like, one day when you're older, which means like, I'll explain all this to you when you're like more emotionally mature of like what's going on here and like what happened to mom, basically. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like why I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. So I read somewhere online, and again, I don't know, this wasn't like a direct quote, but someone somewhere I read that Jennifer Kent has said that she does actually think that there... She, like, well, she wrote the movie with the idea that the monster is real, mm-hmm. and it's like kind of a mix of our two interpretations where, yes, everything I said is the idea of the themes of the movie, but the monster still is real and helped her realize that. But I don't know. The way I watched the movie, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. That they wow. Were, like... Because then it's just too many coincidences. You know what I mean? It's like, but like when it's all her own doing, like she wrote the book, she put it on the shelf, you know, like it just, it just makes perfect sense to me. You know, she envisioned the uh, cockroaches, mm-hmm. like nothing that she saw ever happened. And the only reason it looks real is because the kid believes it so much. It's right. so, so like the scene in the car when they're driving and then the Babadook's on the roof, banging on the roof saying Babadook. If you watch it, like I, I was paying attention to it this time, she starts freaking out first, starts swerving the car and going nuts. And that's when the kid, I mean, the kid thinks the monster's in the backseat of the car. Right. So he goes, get out of here, get out of here. That triggers her brain to then hear it go, ba, ba, do. And then she starts swerving. And that's when the kid starts panicking and going, it's the Babadook, it's the ba-. So like, as an audience member the first time, you think they're both hearing the banging on the roof. Mm-hmm. But I read it as him reacting to the mom, reacting to what she thinks is the banging wow. on the roof. So yeah, I just so when when he sort of like is choking in the back seat because there's a scene where that happens and she has to pull over yeah. and take him to the doctor. Like you think that was just a panic attack? I think it was a panic attack because even the first thing the doctor says, he's like, clearly this is brought on by a huge amount of anxiety. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I think that was just like, and you know, like kids are crazy. Like you know, like he, he just like does his arms all nuts and yeah. And, yeah. You know, I think your theory actually makes me think that this horror movie is covering a real horror movie. And and that being like this kid being sort of in an abusive like environment uh, emotionally and also physically. Like if you think of the fact that she's actually like throwing the kid and choking him and all this stuff. And like even that. like she stops going grocery shopping. You remember when yeah. he, he just asked for food? Yeah. Like, why don't you go eat shit? You that's know, like, a real horror movie. Yeah. Like, that's actually pretty crazy. And it's all those things. It's the reason why I think, like, I, I, I've said it before, but, like, I don't really care for the term elevated horror because it's, like, I just love horror and I don't need to be pretentious about, like, uh-huh. most horror is stupid, but this is better. But, like, 
I think this is one of the best horror movies of the decade. I think it's so smart. There's so wow. many layers. Everything works about it, in my opinion. Like, I don't... There's nothing about it where, like, ah, it didn't really... By the end, it didn't... You know, I just... It's fucking truly scary. It doesn't rely on any jump scares. There's nobody dies. Like it's like it's whoa 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 whoa. Okay. Let's not say nobody dies. <laughs> One a dog very dies. Vi- a dog. <laughs> it was the cutest thing. How can you just say a dog died? <laughs> to Let's... be fair, you think every dog is the cutest thing? <laughs> yeah. I I was whatever very... dog you've seen most recently is the cutest dog that's ever lived. I was eyes. very sad about that yeah, part. Yeah, I was very sad. I can't believe, and it was like long. But I'm just saying, like a less confident horror movie would feel like an hour in, you have to kill the neighbor just because people think yeah. it's a horror movie and someone has to die. You know what I mean? True. Like, like it was. It doesn't follow any tropes. It worries about telling the story first and not worried about what horror fans should be expecting, mm-hmm. which is why I think the audience reviews are lower than the critic reviews because audiences, you know, just when you get them in a, a full group of people, they're just like, oh, nothing happened. Like, you know, it's better when, when the monster, I, I don't even know, did the monster kill anybody? Like, it's not even scary. All you have to do is yell at it and it goes away. <laughs> you know? Like, you, you don't even see it that much in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So fuck those people. LOL. Yeah. But we are open to everyone's ideas. <laughs> so that's how I read the movie, which was, it was super fun to to watch it a second time, like through that lens and be like, yeah, I think she's nuts. Like, I think it's all in her brain. Yeah. I don't think there's a monster at all. It's oh, a lot. Just think about it. what happens that can't be explained. That it's, every time she, she, there's no bugs. Even when she's driving, she thinks she's covered in bugs. She's not bugs. Just your theory just makes everything 10 times more scarier. Yeah, it's amazing. That's why I love this movie. Wow. All right, should we go into a little best worst? I'm going to do best worst character. All right. Why don't you start since you already have yours ready? All right. I mean, I got to go. It's, it's not that there's not many to choose from, but little boy Samuel. Uh, best character. Is that yours? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we already proved why, but just the flip that the movie makes you do with this kid where in the beginning it's just... You're like, there's something wrong with him. He's freaky. He's crazy. Like, he's yeah. so frustrating. To by the end, you're like, man, this kid has got the heart of a goddamn lion. Right. And to go back to what I said earlier about this, Samuel is a completely different kid by the end of the movie. Yeah. To me, it seemed like Samuel didn't really have any mental issues. It, it just seemed like it was all because of, like, this monster in the house that he was, like, acting weird or perceived as weird to us, the audience. Yeah. So by the end of the movie, he just seemed like a normal kid to me. It yeah. seemed like all of those mental weird things like were out the window. Yeah, everything that's wrong with him, I think, can be traced down to how he was raised and what, what's going on with the mom. Because mm-hmm. even that one part after she tells him no birthday party because of what he did, he starts yelling at her and he's like, you won't let me have a birthday party. You won't let me even have a dad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, clearly he means like, you won't talk to me about him. You won't share any of his life with me. It's so tragic because you shut him out of everything. So then it's not that he's saying like, you killed my dad. It's like, you won't even let me think about him. Yeah. You know? And he might not, he's only six. So he might not realize that's what he's saying. But like, you know, yeah, it's all, he could Ugh. easily be a well-adjusted kid if they just dealt with their problems. Absolutely. But yeah, I just, by the end of it, I'm just like, damn, Sam, you're like, what? I don't know what, like when he didn't, basically kill his mom like when she was tied up i was just like dude like you're not that same crazy kid in the beginning who was yeah shooting weapons at people you know what i mean like yeah yeah it was great that was crazy he'll have to be my best too and just not even from the character perspective but just the actor as well yeah all right what do you got for worst oof I'm, <laughs> i almost want to pick that little girl his cousin <laughs> yeah. she sucked absolutely sucked <laughs> she was so mean 
and I didn't feel bad for her being pushed out of her tree house. <laughs> I completely agree, but because of that, I had to pick Aunt Claire because again, uh, I think yeah. it stems to the parent. Yeah, it does. I think yes, that kid sucks, but she's so young that clearly that she's not getting good parenting from that shitty ass aunt. <laughs> like that aunt likes to act like her life's so good on the outside, but clearly. The one time we see her kid, like, interact with someone, it's, like, the worst person you've ever heard in your life. Absolutely. So, just then we, like, rethink everything. We're like, oh, you're probably, like, a fucking neglectful mom on your end. And, like, just fucking pop your kids in front of TVs. And <laughs> just they're all a bunch of pieces of shit. Absolutely. Um, and she then, wants to have a princess yeah. pot. And then also just the, like, the, just the sheer disrespect she has for her sister. She just treats Amelia like trash, I feel like. Like, she helps her out of obligation. Like, she's like, yeah, I'll babysit your kid because you're my sister and this yeah. and that. But she's just emotionally not there she for doesn't even sister. come over she doesn't come over and like she just straight up says like i'm i fucking can't stand your kid and i'm not coming over because i hate your son you know yeah. like and it's just like yeah she's just a piece of shit family member yeah and only cares about herself can i do an honorable mention though for best yeah their neighbors pretty sweet yeah she was my number two i was like oh no she lives on her own with parkinson's right yeah oh. uh what's your next best worst my next, my first, and my last. What's your one? I don't know how to put this into words, but like... <laughs> the podcast. Great start. Great start. <laughs> to our audio show. <laughs> best worst creepy action. Yeah. I actually was going to have best worst scare, which is probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. But I couldn't think of a worse, so I didn't do it. But I'll try now. Okay. I don't know why this freaked me out so much, but the just subtle touching of her jaw constantly throughout the movie yeah freaking creeped me out i was like get it checked like i can't i couldn't stand her just touching her jaw and then the uh, eventual like pulling it out yeah oh uh, sorry just freaking to, creeped me uh, out to further support my theory from earlier real quick though that's another thing where that seems like it's like some crazy like babadook infused like pain she's getting and then she rips out the thing but she just could have not gone to the dentist in seven years. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, she's neglecting her life so much that the reason, like, that's what that is. So, like, that's what I said. Everything that happens, I feel like, mm-hmm. can be explained by the deep multi-year depression she's been in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, like, she just hasn't taken care of herself or her life in any way. I, I completely agree. But in horror movies, I don't know why, but I'm always creeped out by the subtle, like, yeah. repetition of touching something. Yeah, or, like, yeah. Ugh, no, that's a great it. choice. I don't know. I might have to. Uh, this is an easy one to pick, but I might have to just go with those bugs coming out of the wall. Eh, that's yeah. something I, I scare anybody. Like you know, totally. you just think about the place you live being infested like that. Like you feel safe at home. You know, you don't want to pop a hole in your your walls, and all of a sudden there's a million bugs inside. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I don't like. That's that. another thing too. Uh, when you pay attention in Samuel's room, he has a lot of bug-related things. Like he clearly he's into bugs, mm. and then I don't think that's insane that the the thing that's tormenting her are bugs <laughs> all over the place because she's being suffocated by Samuel in her mind. So uh. she's being suffocated by the things he likes, which are bugs. Wow. Yeah. Damn. This movie's the best. <laughs> what about worst? I don't know. I have to think. This is why I didn't pick this because. I like everything. Like, <laughs> you, you can go. I didn't. You never do. Listen, hold you on. Oh, no, give me a, give me Ever. a minute. <laughs> All right. So for my worst, I'm going to pick the Babadook suit appearing in random places. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pick that. Oh, I loved it. I love the scene. But when she's seeing the manifestation of her dead husband in the basement, only because 
they use they prided they prided themselves on using almost no CGI for anything in this movie. Like it's all real shadows and and like stunt doubles and camera tricks. Mm-hmm. But the one time they had to use CGI was when her husband's talking to her and then his face like splits in half. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I guess he got decapitated in the thing. Yeah. Thematically, that's scary as fuck, and I love that scene. But like the actual physical seeing of his face splitting looked a little low budget CGI on my <laughs> part. So that part doesn't actually like scare me. It's more just uh, like okay. You know. Yeah. All right. So I'll pick that. All right. Yeah. That didn't scare me as much as I thought it was going to. So I'll yeah. give it to you. I think it would have been scarier if he like slowly like started turning bluer and bluer and then you like realized he was like a corpse. You know, like yeah. something like, like just seeing his entire face get cut in half like in a in a big CGI slice. It was just like, eh. She's actually been keeping her husband's body in the basement. Face motel. <laughs> what if she teams up with Norman? Yeah. She's Norman's descendant. descendant. Wait, who did she? Who did Norman hook up with? I don't know. She's trying to seduce you. It's not true. She wants you to see her body. She wants you to want. Stop! Norman, you know what you have to do. So, I got one more. All right. Best worst page of the Babadook book. Oh, come on. What? Yeah. Oh, I don't want to think about the book. <laughs> <sighs> Best for me, only because I've never seen this effect in a pop-up book before, is the girl slitting her own throat. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, once I saw like the hand that goes up, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then it moves across, and then they, they have another tab where just little blood comes down the, the throat. Yeah. And I was like, that was pretty cool. Because <sighs> usually pop-up books pop up. That one yeah. was more like a movement within the pop-up. Yeah. So I thought it was super effective and didn't see it coming. Oh, you're like, I wish people could see how much you're smiling right now. <laughs> I mean, there were a couple of ones, not just the one that of the slitting of the throat, but just like there's the sad one with the dog being choked to death, her choking or killing her son. Yeah. I don't want to choose those, but they were pretty impressive in like having that extra bit yeah, of movement. Think of it as artists who put together a, a, a book. Like, like stop trying to think of it like you're like... going to invite horrors in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of it like a production designer who worked really hard. Get out of my head. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'm going to tag team here and just pick one of those, like, cause, just because it has right, that added. Don't want, you don't want to talk about this at all? all right. <laughs> No, I'm talking about it. I'm saying I agree with you. Okay. For my worst, uh, I mean, I love the whole thing. So, again, this isn't like me talking shit. But if I had to pick on the page when they talk about the him knocking three times, the, you know, you'll hear three knocks, Baba, duk, duk, duk. And then it's like the dresser, and you open it up, and then it just says the words duk, duk, duk on the inside. Yeah. I thought that could have been something scarier in there than just the words. It was the beginning. It had to lure you in. I know, but it was like the same words that were written on the page. So it just seemed a little like, you know, you did the same thing twice. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah, but again, I don't think it sucks. I'm just saying. I, it's, it's our format. We got to pick worst. Right. For worst, I'm going to choose the big black Babadook yeah. page. Just because it, I don't know. Well, a little cliche. Yeah. But I thought that the way it was shot and like, or how the editor like cut it a yeah. little bit made it scarier than it actually was. So, nice. though I'm picking it as my worst, it's not really worse because I thought the editing made it better. Sick. All right. Should we be on these credits? Oh, let's go beyond, please. <laughs> Leave this movie as fast as we can. I'm scared. <laughs> so, I kind of touched on it a little earlier when I was giving my theories, but yeah, I mean, after this movie, I just see it. 
I, I look at it optimistically, but I also don't, uh, her road to being like emotionally stable and healthy is a long one and they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be all right in the end. I think she's going to be able to fully just like be herself, get out there, meet people, meet, get, make friends, you know, meet a man, like, you know, all that stuff. But this whole movie was almost like the first step of like starting therapy <laughs> for, <laughs> for their problems. But, um, yeah, I don't have anything too exciting. I don't want a sequel or think there should be. I think it would negate everything that the characters went through in this movie if, like, the Babadook, in quotes, came back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It would just be like, well, then what did she learn the first time? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Uh, I hate that idea. And also, the director says there'll never be a sequel. And she, even when they were, like, working out the contracts before they made the movie she had it written in where like she owns this property nice. and she said she'll never ever ever let him make a sequel get it like, first like, time feature yeah, film director she was just like i don't give a fuck like i like it's just like it would ruin everything like there is no where i want the story to go like it's over like, wow. you know cool so i kind of agree with her where this like really good movies like this like don't need sequels like you know sequels are for like fun movies you know like uh jason kills again you know like you're not <laughs> you're not getting deep shit out of those you're just getting kills this is deep. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think it needs nothing. Okay, that's really interesting because I actually thought the opposite. <laughs> oh wow! I think that there. I mean, especially taking your theory into account and mine, what I started to think, you know, the Babadook is kind of the idea of him and bringing those dark thoughts to life is in all of us. I thought that there is a lot of, even though they overcome this monster by the end of this movie, I do think that. Samuel has gone through a lot of trauma and yeah. a lot of trauma that maybe is not addressed and may manifest him- itself in him as an adult. So I do think that maybe there's a storyline where him and his, as an adult start to experience something similar to this because of something that's triggered by things that have happened in his childhood, but triggered by an actual event that happens in his life as an older person. I love that, actually. That's pretty awesome. And I did forget to mention earlier, like, all the when we're talking about the inspiration of this movie of like really old horror movies it also has a lot of you know obviously things like uh rosemary's baby and the exorcist like or not less exorcist because that's a little more physical it's not necessarily mm-hmm. all psychological but like more psychological horror movies and uh even some of the actors talked about it in an interview on the dvd but there's so much of the shining in here for me i know you haven't seen that mm. but um <laughs> that's another thing that deals with you know, loneliness, the relationship between parents and kids, mental breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all my life, if you asked me, do I want to see what's of The Shining? I would have told you to go fuck yourself. And <laughs> then Dr. Sleep came out and I love Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice. It's so good. And then that's the same thing where Danny Torrance was a little boy in the first movie, six years old. And then this movie is about him in his 40s kind of like dealing with everything that happened to him as a kid mm. so as soon as you started talking about that i was like yeah i, know. I, <laughs> I could see a doctor sleep version of this yeah um where you know samuel's a full-grown adult the mom's already done like so yeah, yeah i guess what i was saying is like her story's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah i guess there's more to d- describe with samuel oh totally um where like he could be inadvertently also repressing this whole thing as a child and then having to deal with it <laughs> everything's fine my yeah. mom and i had a great relationship and just you know <laughs> Uh, I would take that as a sequel. That's awesome. So that's my beyond. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, Halloween time. What a wonderful spooky time. 
So sad <laughs> to see it go, but it must go. Oh, so sad. But oh, Masha. no. <laughs> <laughs> but you survived, Masha. I'm, I'm happy. So, Masha, whether from below or from above, do you love what I love, love, love? Okay, well, let me start off by saying I'm very, I'm thankful to have survived watching this movie. <laughs> survived Fear What I Fear in general. Yes, I'm very thankful to have survived this month. It's been a tough month. I had some <laughs> moments of relief when I had was able to pick my movies. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. Thank God it was easier for me to watch than I thought it was going to be. I think I was going all in being like, all right, this is going to be like, kind of like Scream. Where it's going to be tough. This is so much scarier than Scream. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I don't understand. I really don't think so. I think Scream is scarier Slasher than movies, this. to me, are like comedies. Like, I, they're so fun to that watch. That makes no sense. They're just like, oh, here he comes. He's got him. <laughs> yeah, I this can't do this. This shit is like, this, like, you go to bed and you're taunted by the Babadook. Uh, like. I thought it was a very well-made movie. A lot of layers to it shot very well i don't have anything bad to say about it but in terms of love i don't think i'm there i think that i can appreciate how well this movie's made but i can't bring myself to love this movie it's just a lot to take in a few years ago my friend asked me to make a list of like a hundred movies that he thinks are just like everyone should see you know (laughs) because he doesn't watch a lot of movies yeah and i went through and like i spent like two months like putting this list together of just like trying to think of a hundred movies like it's so hard to just boil it down to that yeah so i tried to go broad appeal and kind of really stick i only picked one movie from the entire decade of the 2010s and it was this movie wow like Damn. that's insane to me i think this movie is like a master class of how to make a film i i like it for what it is i just can't say i love oh, it i i think i'm gonna be haunted by this movie um that's what <laughs> for... i'm talking about that's, that was the purpose of the movie <laughs> The purpose of the movie wasn't for you to go, you, and I feel like that's what you were judging it on. Listen, I loved Psycho. I just, this movie's too scary for me to love. Oh. It's too scary. It's so perfect. Especially, movie. you know, your theory too, like really that makes it you. real. I know, that's what makes it that's so freaking scary. Good. I can't. Oh, you're crazy. I'm just you're happy to have gotten out crazy. alive, Andy. <laughs> Oh, you're nuts. <laughs> I, what, did what? you hear when I said I appreciated it? <laughs> a lot? Anytime one of us starts with compliments, we know it's going to be <laughs> no. And when we start with negatives, we know it's going to be yes. <laughs> like, if we're like, ah, so it didn't work. But I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that's always true. But When I was talking about this movie, uh, like, in, noticing its influence, I just saw so many movies come out after it that involved asking the question is it a ghost or is it mental illness and obviously that wasn't invented with this movie right but this movie did it so goddamn good everything i was just like oh it's the babadook like there was a german movie i think it was called mother but i can't remember mother but it was very similar where it's like two boys two twin boys their mom goes to get like a facial reconstructive surgery and comes home from the hospital and they like start 
thinking it's not her, like something like stole her face. Oof. And then as the movie goes on, you start going like, oh, wait, is this a mental, like, you know, like, like, you know, are, are the kids fucked up or, you know what I mean? Right. So it's always like, oh, I saw so many movies where like, oh, it's the Babadook, except now it, this person's going through it. Like, mm. it's like, you know, so I just noticed that the idea of mixing potentially a mentally ill protagonist with whether or not it's supernatural right i saw it like five six times after this movie came out wow. so i was just like man everyone's trying to be the babadook That's and nobody crazy. nobody that i've seen has landed it this good yeah like i australia I, again i'd have to look at a list of horror movies of the whole decade to like really boil it down to what my favorites are but i mean this and hereditary are up there oh man with like get out it's, i don't know i don't even know what else i have to think about it i'll just stick with the craft thank you it follows <laughs> yeah but, I mean, overall, though, this was a fun month, I will say. As much as I suffered mentally. <laughs> it, was... it wasn't that bad. I saw <laughs> a movie from the 60s. <laughs> Found footage and then this. You're fine. I hope uh, you guys listening to the podcast enjoyed Fear What I Fear. Yeah. Not to say that we're not going to do horror movies because Andy's oh, definitely I will, got but, more. Uh, but... I just like no, to know that we have one time a year where we can guarantee it. Yeah. Hope y'all had a great Halloween. All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have any opinions on what we discussed, follow us on social media at LWIL Podcast. It's a great place to find out what we'll be talking about next. And as always, if you have the time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love. Because if it's in a word, or if it's in a look, you can't get rid of the ba ba do do do. Oh, we live together. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs>